Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we are talking to, I, you know, I try very carefully not to throw around words like iconic or legendary very often because I feel like those things get overused all the time. And then if everything's legendary or iconic, then nothing is. But in this case, I feel like it fits. If we're talking about free and bad company, I feel like legendary is a suitful uh, description. So we're talking to the drummer of those bands, Simon Kirk. I mean, to me, and I use this word very deliberately, those bands and their songs are very much a part of the fabric that make up what we think of as rock and roll music. They are, they're heavy. They're not too heavy. They're tuneful. Um, they, they rock. Paul Rogers has one of the greatest voices in rock history. Everybody's doing what needs to be done to create some of the classic, classic rock songs like this one right here, or like Rock and Roll Fantasy, or All Right Now, or pick anything from either of those bands, and they make up what we think of when we think of great, uh, classic, hard rock, okay? So Simon came on, bless his heart, to talk about all of this. We also talk about his solo career, which is... There's only a couple albums out there, but they're really interesting and they're very different than what he does. And the histories of Free and Bad Company and whether they belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Surprisingly, and I'm really grateful for this, we talk a lot about the Brian Howe era of Bad Company. I think as everyone knows, Brian was on here several years ago and he's passed away now. He was really nice to me, but I've heard, I've heard some sketchy things about the guy, unfortunately. And so we get into some of that as well. But I am just, I'm so grateful to have a conversation like this with a legend like Simon. I mean, he was there. He was there for all of it. You know what I mean? And uh, and I've always thought too, I thought it was really interesting too that his drumming has always been so kind of tasteful and mellow compared to his, his peers at the time, the Bonzos and the Keith Moons and the Neil Peart's and all that kind of stuff. So how does that feel? Anyway, we get into all of it. And his daughters are actresses. Jemima was in Girls, if you remember that. And so there's a lot to cover here, but he's just the best. And we get into behind the scenes of a lot of the songs and their creation and the burnout from the band and the status of the band and all that kind of stuff, okay? I loved it. I think you will too. He called me from his home in New York City. Okay, well, so for starters, as I mentioned a minute ago, I've been wanting to have you on here for a long time. I'm a big, big country, or a, a bad company fan. But what finally, and I, so I've been meaning to get to this for a while, and I just hadn't gotten to it yet. But what kind of finally pushed me over the edge was seeing that you played on this new Billy Squire single, um, huh. Harder for a Woman, is that, or Harder yeah. for a Girl? Harder for a Woman, I think. 
Mother's got a problem. What she gonna do? Took away her freedoms. Can't believe it's true. Black man at the courthouse says we're coming after you. He forgets what it's like. The looks ain't gonna save you. The only girl so far. Meet me on the corner and step into my car. Ain't no room for honesty when everyone's a star. Better run for your life. Come to me, my darling. Take me by the hand. We can walk together. We will make our stand. It's harder on a woman than it's on a man. Try to love your baby best as I can. She I love Billy too, and he's a mystery. You know, he hasn't made music in a long time. How did this happen? Well, um, it's pretty easy. Um, <clears throat> I have a house in Montauk at the end of Long Island, mm-hmm. and there's a a little sort of clutch of villages. Got Montauk, Amagansett, and Bridgehampton. They're all in a row, and Amagansett, which is a village next to me, lives G. E. Smith. Oh. He's a great guitar player, you know. And was, he's on that song too, I think, right? He's on it, yeah. Yeah. And he, I'm in, in touch. Uh, we're, we're good friends. And a couple of months ago, he said, Oh, Billy, Billy Squire wants to do a, a song. And he lives in Bridgehampton, which is only uh, five or six miles from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, would I be interested? I said, Look, if, if you're playing, because I love GE's playing, then, uh, yeah, of course. So I, I knew Billy from years ago. We sort of lost touch. And uh, so we got together in a little studio uh, just outside Amagansett, and uh, we cut it in, in a couple of hours. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's so strong. It's good to have him back. I mean, I don't think he has communicated if there are any long-term plans after this single. Has he talked said anything to you? Well, he, he's, a, he's kind of if there is, I probably would not be involved because I've oh. got a, a lot of other things going on. And quite honestly, John, my touring days outside of my company are, are winding down. And, really? Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm more looking forward now to music, uh, uh, movie scoring. Uh, I'll do sessions. I'll help out friends. I even play the occasional show because I love playing. Mm-hmm. especially with GE. Um, but actually, you know, I was offered to to do uh, a couple of shows in New York with the, the band, you know, the whole uh, repertoire. And, oh, wow. Know, was, well, yeah, I kind of turned it I did. I turned it down because uh, outside the band, the band, was, like the Canadian Robbie Robertson no, band? <laughs> oh. No, a friend of mine. And oh. uh, I said, no, I, I really don't want to go down that road anymore and um, wow. but uh so that that was it and i told billy as such and yeah i keep pretty much i don't know i can't speak for him but 
he hasn't been on the road for a while and no. um, I don't know if he plans to or not so I don't know either I hope so you I you're answering a lot of questions that I had for you regarding touring and the state of the of bad company and everything is I don't know what is what is it you guys go out every summer I've never been able to see you live I don't know why I, I've oh. never been there when you come through or something what what's well, the state of reunions these days well they I mean we we had a great run and um in 2019 we did our a show you know we did finish our tour with Leonard Skinner oh yeah we finished up in Vegas we did a great show and then of course COVID happened the next yeah. year and then and and Paul has had some health issues hmm. Paul I mean nothing terrible but uh, I think he um I'm just waiting for him hmm. you know he's um uh, if he wants to tour, then of course yeah. I'll tour. Uh, right now, there are no signs of a bad company okay. touring. It would Mick be involved if you if you oh, were to go back no. out? He's done. Mick had a stroke. Uh, I wondered about six days ago. Yeah, I thought He's so. Days. Yeah, they're over. Okay. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, so, big shame. So do you? I mean, we try to sensitively talk about kind of the business side of things on here. I, I'm guessing being a rock legend and uh, having so many hits, you can call your own shots. You can do what you want. There's no fear about retirement or, you know, no. anything like that. Well, I mean, there, there is, and there will always be an audience for us. I mean, that, that's a lovely feeling. And, yeah. and, and you know, on the websites and the fan club and Facebook and so on, social media, a lot of people say, you know, when are you going to come back out on the road? Uh -huh. And I can only give them the answer I've given you. It's really up to Paul. Yeah. And if he feels up to it, then we'll do it. Yeah. Uh, but as of now, there there are no plans. Got it. We've Got it. Yeah. Have you been able to do, you mentioned movie scoring. Are you able to do that? Is that a, a new gig yeah. for you? Well, it is. I mean, it, it, I'm only just starting out i've done a couple of small independent movies i i you know i play keyboards as well as guitar and it's just something that as my as my touring sun begins to set uh -huh. you know it's something that i really want to get involved in because i love music in all its forms sure and i love movies and and ever since i was young i whenever i saw a movie and listened to the music i thought oh that could be different there, you know. Uh -huh. And and several of my contemporaries have have gone into movie scoring. It's a hard gig to get into, especially my. You know, I've mm -hmm. been I've been um, involved in other scenes, in, in other things for for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And to suddenly want to, you know, get mm -hmm. the movie scoring, it's not that easy. So yeah. I have to call up some friends. It, it is you know uh, primarily, but of course you have to be able to to do the things. But that that's something that I really want to explore, uh, as uh, well as songwriting. And sure, I'll always write songs, you know. So I want to. Speaking of your songwriting, I want to ask you about your last solo album, All Because of You, because yeah. it's. I don't think it's what you would expect a rock god of your stature to produce, <laughs> and. Uh, it, like out of the gate, that title track, just a declaration of how happy you are and how great yeah. life is. I'm happy in every way. 
You ain't seen nothing yet All because All because of you There's a fire in my belly Deep down below How can I describe it? It's like a glow in my soul She lights up my life Like no one before Now, this was 2017. A lot of shit's happened since then that may have yeah, changed your true. mood. <laughs> but still good. I mean, I was getting in, um, I was ending a, a long relationship, a long marriage that had gone south pretty quickly. I was dealing with, um, I'd just gotten over substance abuse, and I've been in, in the program now for a long time, in and out. Nearly eight years. Uh, oh, good for you. So it, it was a good. It was a good time. I, I actually recorded that in 016. We released it in 017. Mm-hmm. So um, things were were really on the up and up for me. And it, I've always, I, I fulfilled a couple of wishes on that album. In that, I'd always wanted to have a song done with a string quartet yeah. and a gospel choir. And into the light. That's what I was just going to say. That song is beautiful. A few years ago, I was a haunted man. My life was sinking slowly into a sea of quicksand. My days were lived in darkness. I was a king of the night. But it took a near flat flag to get me into the light. Winging out of my soul on the scales, selling it gram by gram. I was a step away from jail. I didn't sleep, I never closed my eyes. And the face that I wore. It was just a disguise I had to give up a fight And step into the light And then one day I fell to my knees I asked the power above Won't you help me please I'm so tired of living a lie And it yeah, sounds, you talking about being in recovery and new like newly in love or in a new chapter of your life that's exactly what that song sounds like well i loved uh, it thank you well 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 spotted when i i had to leave chicago where i i recorded the album and i left it in the hands of the the leader of the band that backed me the empty pockets wonderful band Mm. and the guy's name was josh solomon and i said josh Please, he said, don't worry, I know a gospel choir, 
and I know a string quartet. Just leave it with me. And God bless him. He did a wonderful job. And uh, I wish I'd, I'd never got to meet the gospel choir, mm. um, but they did such a magnificent job. It was so lovely. I love it. And Thank you. One more song on it, the uh, Friends in the Woods. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. I once knew a badger who lived in the wood. He was black and brown and gray. He was ever so good. And whenever he came out, he would shuffle and snuffle about. Turning over leaves with his shiny wet snout. the hedgehog who lived beneath the tree he crawled about all wobbly cause he could hardly see and now and then he'd squeak cause that's the way they speak then he'd roll himself up into a ball and go to sleep for a week Hey everybody, you know, it, it sounds like it belongs on like a children's cartoon or something like that, you know? Well, yeah, I, I guess it's like it's like the equivalent of John Bonham reciting <laughs> Hickory Dickory Dock. <laughs> you know, that's it. To a little kid. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, I actually did write it from when I was uh, um, my kids were you know, five and six. I got uh -huh. three daughters. And I wrote for, for my eldest uh, when she was about five or six years old. And that was in early, the early 80s. Yeah. And um, someone mentioned, I played it. I was just noodling around in the studio. And, and uh, the band said, what is that? I said, oh, it's just a little lullaby song I wrote for my kid. And, and yeah. the lady... The lady in the band said, "It's it's one you know you got to yeah gotta yeah yes." And, uh, thanks for bringing that up. Of yeah. course, I think it's so fun. Okay, now going completely the other direction. You mentioned bottom, and there was something that I was curious about getting ready to talk to you when i think of simon kirk's drum playing the word that keeps coming to mind for me is tasteful it's always mm -hmm. exactly what the song needs but what i think is interesting is that you coming up in the 70s your your peers are the giants of drumming there's bottom there's neil peart there's baker there's uh moon there's you yeah. know all the biggest drummers yeah. ever yeah Cozy Powell, all these guys are the biggest drummers ever, and they are your peers. But Bad yeah. Company, other than a few moments here and there in songs, you don't really, you're not, you were never given that kind of reign, I guess. Was that ever True. a thing? Was that was that conscious of you? Like, oh no, oh. I mean, look, John, I always consider myself a musician first who happened to play drums. I mean, drums has always been my first instrument, but I never aspired. To, to what John Onzo did or Mooney 
Uh-huh. Because Bag was free and Bag Company, that music only required uh, a simple approach, a, mm-hmm. much more like Ringo and Charlie Potts. Good and point. That was my, and Levon. Perfect example. Levon yes. Hell from the band, who was a huge influence on me. Al Jackson, Jr., the drummer with the Stax House Band. Um, that, that Those were my influences. And as much as I admired, I mean, Bonzo was an incredible drummer. Uh, um, and Baker and, and Mooney, my God, before before the drugs really took hold of yeah. Keith. He was the most phenomenal drummer. And I remember uh, the very first package tour that Free went on. And listen to this for a lineup. It was Free playing for 20 minutes, The Crazy World of Arthur Brown, Joe Cocker, The Small Faces, and The Who. Oh! All on one bill. And I remember the first gig we did, this would be about 1970. And we we were given like a ten minute sound check, and then Keith came on. The, you know, the Who wanted to have their sound check, you know, uh-huh. and so there was this little four piece kit. And I always knew Keith as having this double bass drum premier kit. No, he had a, a four piece kit. When he sat down, and we all we, we all got out of the way and watched the Who do a sound check. And Keith just had four drums and two cymbals and a hi-hat. Oh. He was just out of this world good. I never wow. forgotten. And and then as, you know, they got famous and they wanted more bigger sound and so on, Keith added more drums until he had this giant kit. And I asked him once, you know, why did he need three, count them, three floor toms? He said, dear boy, I need somewhere to put my brandy. <laughs> You know, he, he had that's a, such a Keith uh, Moon thing to say. It's <laughs> a Keith Moon thing for sure. That's right. But no, I mean, that, just getting back to your original question, I've only aspired to adding um, a sort of a bedrock of a rhythm yeah. and a, a to anyone who plays who I play with. I uh-huh. would love to have been able to solo like Bonzo or, or uh-huh. uh, Neil. Neil was a wonderful drummer. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that just wasn't my thing, and I play guitar and piano and other instruments, and and that completes me. Yeah, and I was never I was never upset that I wasn't included in the ten best drummers of rock. Okay. There are many many other drummers out there. Uh, um, Richie Hayward from Littlefield, Mitch Mitchell, mm-hmm, Simon too. Phillips. I mean, yes. there are so many amazing drummers mm-hmm. who, because they weren't in any particularly uh, popular bands uh, or, or high-profile bands were never really mentioned in the drummers' polls, which yeah. means nothing. Yeah. I was just curious how you felt about that, because like I said, the word that I, always comes to mind for you is tasteful, because it always it's always exactly what the song requires. And so many of those other drummers at that time are practically lead instruments in their band. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I, I just wondered if where you fell on some of that. So let me ask you this. In the transition from free to uh, to bad company, mm. how did how did you and Mick get along out of the gate? Because you and Paul had a history from free. Then Mick mm. comes in. I don't know if you're friends already or if you don't know oh, if you are just no, meeting him or what? Well the thing is Paul which was mixed band and free, which was mine and Paul's. 
we shared the same record label, Iron Records. Ah, that makes and, sense. And every now and again, you know, we'd be in the offices, a uh, photo session, or, you know, they, they had the recording studios downstairs. We would just cross paths. Mm -hmm. And I always, I, 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 Mick was always so affable and amenable and friendly. And, you know, how, how you doing, boy? Yeah, yeah. You know, we'll be safe. You know, we're going up north. We're going to do some, and then um, Bree would be going down south. So we always crossed paths. And I just remembered him as being a, a really nice guy. Mm -hmm. So when when Paul Rogers called me and said, look, I'm forming this band with Mick from Mock the Hoople. He's leaving the band. Uh, would you be interested in, in being the drummer? And I said, yeah, I'd love to, because I've always loved Paul's voice and loved mm -hmm. his singing. And um, so when I actually got to meet Mick, I just fell in love with the guy. He okay. was so... And such a great guitar player, and, yeah. and just and he after after having endured Paul Kossoff and his drug addictions and, yeah. and two or three years of just oh my god, taking my hair out to yes. be in the company of someone who was eloquent, liked to drink and a joint like all of us in those days, mm -hmm. but he never mm -hmm. got crazy. Yeah, it was just a, a marriage made in heaven. That's what I was wondering because. You, t you and Simon almost become more married or joined at the hip than you and Paul do, considering that you two carry it on into the 80s and 90s, you know? Me and Mick. You mean yeah, me you and Mick. Mick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what did yeah, I say, I'm, Simon? I was, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, right. Mick. Anyway. <laughs> I, I knew who you meant. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I, I uh, formed a friendship with Mick, uh, which endures to this day, and... and we spoke to him last month when, when he had his birthday and, you know, he can't speak very well because of the stroke. But I, I can quite honestly say I love the guy. I mean, yeah. I, he's just, he's, he's always been a, a friend of mine and I get choked up thinking about the state that he's in now, the physical state. Yeah. But we did. I mean, when Paul left the band uh, in 1983, we carried on for a while with another singer. And Mick was always there, you know. So me and Mick sort of played more with Mick than I have with Paul Rogers um, mm -hmm. in those terms. But he's a dear friend. I, I love him Good. dearly. That's great. Um, okay, I wanted to ask you, those first couple of Bad Company albums are just unassailable. I mean, they're so good. They're so full of hits and everything like that. By the time of Burning Sky, it feels a little bit like running on some fumes you know yeah, it was. and it was. okay so that's what i was curious about burning skies kind of that way thankfully rock and roll fantasy sort of saves desolation angels or else that would yeah. sort of be similar
Are you guys feeling it? Are you thinking this is, we oh, can't no. come up with no, good no. songs or we're burnt out or what? No question, we were burnt out because yeah. I'm 74. We, for the next two years, uh, we went on this endless carousel of tour album, tour album. I mean, we, but I mean, you have to remember that in 74, I was 25, Paul Rogers was 25, Mick was 30, Boz, I believe, was around 27, 28. We were quite young. We were like four greyhounds led out of the gate. I mean, we were just rocking. But uh, we went around the world a couple of times. We did hundreds and hundreds of shows, and we were getting tired. And what happened was around Burning Sky, we were contracted to finish an album and deliver it by whatever, the end of 1976. Mm-hmm. And otherwise there would have been a huge financial penalty or some nefarious shit sure. with the record Yeah, company. some legal thing. Uh, yep. Yeah, we had to do it. So when we all got together in um, the Honky Chateau in, uh, outside Paris, I think we only had about four songs. Oh. Um, and we, we kind of wrote on the fly. Mm-hmm. And the result was a not. There were a couple of really good tracks, but overall it was a bit of a mess and a bit of yeah. a tired mess. And we got slammed for it, and rightfully so, I think. And, and we were tired, basically. That bottom line. Yeah, uh, I was curious it. about that. How you felt? I, I think one of maybe my favorite Bad Company song is "Run with the Pack." Those last couple of minutes with just the strings and the piano are so gorgeous. You know what I mean? Yeah, it knocks me yeah. out every time. Do you remember anything about the the recording or creation of that oh, song? Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah tell it. me about it. So you got the first three. You got Bad Coat, Straight Shooter, and Run the Bank. And those three were sublime. Yes. Every one of them, it was just wonderful. A quick little fun fun story about recording Run with the Pack. We had to do a tax year out in England because of mm-hmm. the crippling taxes. So we rented a, a nice big house in the south of France. And we all, you know, convened there, the four of us, and 
Buddhism girlfriend. And we were waiting for the Stones Mobile studio, which was coming from England across the channel and into the, up to the, the, the villa. Uh-huh. So we got a call on the day that it was supposed to arrive. And we I think we'd just gotten cell phones, 1976. Very big, clunky cell phones. And he said, hey, this is the Stones Mobile. I said, yeah, man, where the fuck are you? He said, well, we're outside the gates of the villa, but it, the, the truck is too wide to go through the gate. And we said, you're kidding. I said, no, no, there's no way that we – I said, well, can't you run a cable – he said, no, I mean, the, the driveway is half a mile long. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so typical bad company, we just called up the management. They rented another villa. Uh-huh. That's how much money we had in those days. They uh-huh. rented another villa about a mile down the road, and that's with the gate wide enough. <laughs> and people said, didn't you fucking idiots think to measure <laughs> – the width of the gates. No. <laughs> you guys, this villa is not going to work. Can anyone get us another villa ASAP? That's exactly you know, that's We're bad. rock stars. We can have whatever we want these days. <laughs> I know. That's but wild. It was, it was a fun time. And you were right. That Run with a pack. Yeah. Um, when we were listening back to it, I think Paul said, ooh, Love to hear strings on that because we couldn't stop. It mm. just went on and then once around again, and he's like, yeah. nah, nah, nah. and then um, I forget that he's quite a famous arranger. He put the strings on it, and it was gorgeous. Yeah, good, good point. Wow, yeah, I was curious about that. I, I, um, one thing I read in getting ready to talk to you was that um, one of the other reasons for the breakup. Number one was that Peter Grant kind of became checked out. And that he was sort of the glue that was sort of keeping everything together. And that mm-hmm. makes some sense. And then secondly, I don't remember where I read this, but that the band got sick of playing stadiums. And I'd never heard that before. I don't know if that's even true. And I thought, well, is it is it like super hard to play stadiums? No, no. We never actually got to stadiums. It was arenas. But that wasn't the thing, John. That really, what you're looking at, and I'm, I've mentioned this in uh, in many interviews, and I'm quite happy to mention that Bad Company was getting really quite strung out. Mm-hmm. And I'm not speaking for the other members, but I had a serious cocaine problem. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say from 78 through to 81, maybe even 82, uh, me and a couple of other members of the band, we were pretty... You know, we were pretty high all the pretty time dark. and drinking yeah. a lot and so on and so forth. We could get away with it because we were young. We were basically talented. I mean, mm-hmm. we never did drugs on stage. That was a no-no. Uh, but after, yeah. yeah. So yeah. The, the drug use started to erode the glue within the band. And at the same time, Peter Grant and various members of Led Zeppelin were also mm-hmm. going through their own drug-induced hell. And then, of course, Bonzo died yep. in 1980. Zeppelin broke up, and Peter Grant just mm-hmm. went into a spiral. Mm-hmm. And without Peter around, 
our company just kind of disintegrated. We did manage to make another another album, Rough Diamonds, which I don't mind that one actually. Yeah. Yeah. good song considering that we were battling our various demons it came out really well there yeah. was a fist fight within the band and it just sort of imploded and and by 82 paul had gone mm-hmm. um but we were just we were run ragged you know yeah. we were and, and no that that would be uh big-headed to say oh we're tired of doing stadiums i think we were just tired of doing arenas airports mm-hmm. hotel arenas airports the whole grind yeah yeah i mean don't okay. get me wrong the money was nice sure sure the money was great yeah but uh, it came at a price it really i get was. it i get it um okay let me ask you this how are you comfortable talking about the brian howe years sure yeah okay uh i gotta tell you brian was on here about five years ago probably mm-hmm. before he died obviously mm-hmm. and um I really liked the guy. He um, he charmed me. He was a he was a nice guy. I'd always wondered what his story was. He sort of came out of nowhere, plucked to front you guys, and then disappeared into oblivion. And uh, I had always thought, what what is Brian Howe's story? I hate to say this, but the truth of the matter is, after he was on the show, and since he's died, I've heard a lot of terrible things, <laughs> and. Uh, I've heard rumors. I have seen his own, like he was firing people from his band because they were Democrats and he loved Trump oh, a lot. And, uh, oh, God. so he wanted any, you know, anyone in his band who didn't like Trump had to go. Wow. And, uh, I just thought I, this is getting sketchy. So what are your memories of the Brian Howe era? Well, let me, all right, that, that, no one's ever really told me about that, but it doesn't surprise me that it was a Trump supporter. But when he came along, I'll tell you what happened. Mick Jones from Foreigner mm-hmm. was grooming him to take Lou Grant's place because Lou yeah. was having health issues and yep. he wanted to get off the road. And Brian was that sort of high-voiced, almost heavy metal singer. But uh, with a little bit of soul, um, 
And and then Mick did a sort of a Mick Jones did a U-turn and said, "Look, we're going to continue with Lou. His health is okay now, la la la. But I know Paul is out of the band, and you guys are twiddling your thumbs." The head of Atlantic Records called me and Mick and said, "Listen, what the fuck are you guys doing? You've got this great legacy. Why don't you just get another singer?" And so we did, and Brian was the singer, and. What I liked about Brian initially was his work ethic. He would work 24 hours a day. Uh-huh. He was young. He was hungry. He was eager. His vocal style was not like Paul's. Uh-huh. And oddly enough, John, I've seen there are sort of two versions of Bad Company in people's minds, uh-huh. the Rogers version and the, the Brian Howe version. And a lot of kids discovered Bad Company after Paul had left the band, they are oh, only I'm yeah. one of those Holy people. Water, yep. you know, they were, How about that is one of my favorite yeah. songs of all time. They were totally, they were miles apart. Definitely. So let me get back to the thread. So we had Brian on board, and the music did take uh, a, a turn. Some people would say for the worse, some people would say for the better, but it kept the, the name alive. But our big mistake was making him an equal member of the band. And I know of other bands who took on, I mean, Journey, uh, foreign, I mean, their singers not being the original ones are on a wage. And I kind of wish we'd done that with Brian and see how he could, you know, maybe earn his way into becoming a member. After the first album, which was a complete departure from, you know, the one before, he started getting, you know, the Brian now that became a bit of a pain in the ass, quite honestly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not. I'm not taking away from my own thoughts because those first three or four years of the nineties, I was pretty bad. I mean, I was I was playing well, and I left all my partying till after the the shows. But Brian was a drinker. He didn't do coke. He didn't smoke coke. Although I somehow wished he had done. <laughs> It might have made him a, a little more agreeable, but right. that's that's his thing. It's okay. Yes. But political, and it's funny you should make the political distinction. There was a certain divergence now between me and Mick on, on, in the camp and Brian, mm-hmm. and 
we just grew apart. And then he would get on these political rants about Governor Florida. We would play the beginning of Bad Company, and he'd launch into this like monologue about the, the <laughs> you know, the, the governor of Florida and what a political mess America. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and so it, we started getting verbal and then it, it, it just escalated. The bottom line is we still went all over the state and sold a lot of tickets and sold a lot of albums. So it wasn't like we were on to a bad thing. It, it was commercial. It was working. But there came a time when me and Mick went, I can't take this guy anymore. Yeah. And I know Brian felt the same. Yeah. You know, he said, oh, you're always drunk, you're always doing blow, la, la, la. Mm -hmm. It was just, get out of my life. Yes. And um, he says he was, he left, but he was actually asked to leave. I believe and it. Seven years. So, but I don't want to speak ill of him. I heard other things, um, you know, about his sexual uh, proclivities, should that's we say? I, I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I, I don't want to go there. But no, he we don't just, have to get into the details. I've heard the same. He just was not a fit for the band, mm -hmm. and um, he went his own way. And uh, I, uh, I was sorry to hear that he died. When someone dies, it's all. It's it. The, the field is leveled. Yes, you know, it's okay. I do. Yep. You know, so, I know what you mean. One thing that he mentioned to me, and you kind of touched on this a second ago, but when we were talking years ago, his, one of his complaints was that it seemed like, and you, based on what you just said, you could probably confirm it, that you and Mick, he did all the work. He, he wrote all the songs. And that Simon and Mick didn't seem interested, never contributing to any songs. They just wanted to keep the Bad Company gravy train going. And maybe considering your drug intake or state of mind or whatever at the time maybe there's some truth to that i don't know well there were the musical differences between the three of us put up a barrier i didn't he came out with songs he wrote with another guy terry thomas mm -hmm. Producer, most yeah. of the songs yep. of that of that era were written by thomas thomas Pound. so Mick didn't have the he didn't have Paul Rogers to to trade off again. You know, Mick and, and Paul wrote a lot of the back of the, years, the early years. So Mick was kind of left on his own. I'll put my hand up and say, yeah, I did not want to get involved in I didn't want to sit in a room with Brian. I like Perry. Um but uh, you know, we, we actually made an album together years and years ago, but that's another story. But I didn't want to be around Brian. That makes and sense. His music, his music was much more heavy metal power mm -hmm. ballad than I like. We just, yeah. you know, musically we weren't compatible. And so, makes sense. yeah. But it, look, John, it works both ways. Mm -hmm. Brian joined a full fame band. Mm -hmm. He cut through all the bullshit of starting, you know, and mm -hmm. going in the van all over the country paying his dues. He joined a multi-million dollar multi-platinum selling band out yeah. So, yeah, I, I will say that my workload and my contribution was not nowhere near the same as with the old bag company. Uh -huh. But by the same time, same, by the same token, rather, uh, we provided uh, Brian with a very lucrative train. Definitely. Which he rode to the very end. 
I believe it. And you, what you were saying about having to work with him, that makes so much sense. I mean, if writing a song at that time means having to spend more time with a coworker <laughs> that you don't like, no one wants that, you know? Well, I also, and, and this is common knowledge, but getting back to his, shall we say, after-concert activities, he bought a girl on the bus, and she was a very pretty girl indeed. Away, she was underage. Mm. And I know, I knew that we were going from one state to another. And you take a minor over state lines for the purpose of fun, party, whatever mm -hmm. you call it. But if sex is involved, you're looking at between two and four years in jail. It's called yes. the man act. Yes. And Chuck Berry fell afoul of that. So yep. before we cross the state, the state line, maybe California to Nevada, I said to this girl, yeah, I want to work with you. I want to see your ID. She said, ah. Brian is all like, oh, how dare you talk? No, no, no. You can be serious legal trouble, my friend. Uh -huh. If this girl is taken into another state, I want to see your ID. Blow me down. She's 15 years old. Oh. <laughs> I mean, she looked 18. She was gorgeous. Yeah. Sure. And I said, right, next the next truck stop, uh -huh. I'll give you some money. You call a cab. You're only about 50 miles from home. Go home. Oof. And he was so like, I said, yeah. heard of the man act? He said, what's that? <laughs> well, we obviously don't know it. Right. Uh, statutory rate, by the way, doesn't matter what fucking state you're in. Yeah. But she's in Shagger, you know, statutory rape. You yes. take the state line, yeah, it's the end of your career, my friend. Uh-huh. So, you know, it was coupled with a little bit of ignorance um, yeah. and thinking like most men do with their dicks. Yes. So, anyway, that's the end Dude, of the Brian. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. One, other, one other Brian question I did have is that I'm guessing while he's in the band and you guys are on tour, he's playing all the old Bad Company hits. But I'm guessing mm -hmm. when he's out and Paul comes back and you do reunion shows, you don't play any of those Brian no. Howe era no songs well no. you know the, uh, needless to say the animosity between brian and paul uh just escalated i mean yeah. he was um he would go out as bad company this was like years after he left the oh, band geez. and we would have to do hey say on, on on you know social media are you playing mucus springs in idaho <laughs> uh on tuesday <laughs> Well, it says you are by coming to Mute Springs Arena. <laughs> Fucking hell. So yeah, we'd have to go to, to arbitration. We'd, so the, the vibes between Paul Rogers and, and Brian Howe were terrible. Uh-huh. Um, we never, ever did any of the uh, yeah. the, the Brian Howe stuff, no. Yeah, better to put that stuff behind you. When you, you were talking earlier about Atlantic Records, I, if I remember right, Atlantic came to you guys and said, "You, we want you to reform and get back together. And Paul's been off in the firm and they call themselves the firm. They're not bad company too or whatever. Right. And, um, but when Paul doesn't agree to sign on to the reunion, does Atlantic put pressure on you to like, we need the name bad company out there, go find a new singer. Or is that, cause it would have made sense if you guys had just called yourself something else like damn Yankees or something like that, no. dude, you know? Well, I didn't want to start again. Yeah, that's, I, mean, I could see I that. Put, I put in a lot of work. We were now, were we, 85, 86. 
And I, uh, Mick got a call from Ahmet Erdogan, the head of Atlantic. He said, you know, guys, it's so simple. You've got three original members. You need to replace the term. Yeah. Which on paper seemed the right thing to do. And I, I remember him saying, do you want to start all over again? Yeah. Because it, it, it doesn't make sense. Of course, Ahmet was speaking from a business point of view. Of you know, he got a million multi-million dollar selling band and uh, they were just twiddling their thumbs waiting for Paul who had gone off with Jimmy and uh, a pretty damn good uh, band called The Firm. So we did. We we got in another singer hoping that it would all work out. And yeah. on paper it did work out, but mm-hmm. after six years we were going to tear each other's throats out. I don't blame you. It makes no. sense. It makes sense. So we have some Patreon supporters, and I always tell them who I'm talking to, and if they want to submit questions, they can. And one of them in particular, Philip Hopwood, uh, this is a question I'm sure you get asked a lot. It comes up a lot. Why aren't Bad Company in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And, you know, I asked that thinking, uh, in the current ballot, there's Joy Division and New Order, because the band, you know, when Ian Curtis dies, they're almost the same band, but they take on a new name and they do a new thing, and both are equally revolutionary and important they could do the same thing it could be free slash bad company and then the whole group all you guys that deserve it get in well i think there are several reasons i don't really know the politics of of the hall of fame but i think back up a little first of all i think free should be in and if you want to go even further back i think paul rogers should be in under his own, like Rod Stewart, Good in point. his own right, yep. as one of the most amazing singers ever, one of the most influential singers, and one of the songwriters who's written yep. some amazing songs. So uh, under his own stick, he should begin. Free and Bad Company suffered from the fact that we had multiple lineups. Oh, over okay. the years. Yeah. And I think that that sort of decreased our currency if mm. you will i i think it's i think that the original bad company should be in mm-hmm. and it's been done before yes mm-hmm. we're inducted and true just passed away. alan just passed away but and they had multiple uh lineups mm-hmm. but they uh, i believe the they original, stuck to the core yeah the core yeah, whatever got yeah. you know 12 people so, or something like that got in as to why, I couldn't answer that. I can only uh, forward my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that there were, you know, along the way, uh, things just conspired against us. And I have no idea why why free isn't involved or inducted. Yeah. Um, bad company, I have no idea either. So I don't either. I, you know, I was thinking, um, you know, no disrespect to Deep Purple. But with, I mean, Smoke on the Water is such a gigantic riff and song that I think for a lot of people, that song alone puts them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And to me, All Right Now is the exact same thing. i mm-hmm. 
That opening riff is one of the most iconic, greatest riffs in rock history. If a band like Deep Purple, who are also a great band, can get in on the strength of one song that changes everything, Free deserves the same respect for all right now. Does that make sense? Um, Is Deep Purple in? Yes, they are in. And they took, I think, like Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale, so later singers. You guys wouldn't have to do that with Howl and Hart and everything, but... um, those guys went in with Deep Purple. So, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, well, I was just curious you know, how you felt it's, about it's, that. It's a waiting game. I, As each year goes by, I think, you know, maybe it will happen. Hopefully it happens in my lifetime. I'd love no to kidding. see it. I'm not going to hold my breath. Yeah. Um, and I agree yeah. with you. I mean, not, nothing against you and Mick, but Paul himself, for that voice yeah. and those songs – yeah. deserves to be in just for being the rock icon that he is. He's one of the greatest front yeah. men of all time, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just wondered if you thought about that kind of stuff. Um, okay. So let me ask you about this. When, when, since the end of the how and heart era, bad company becomes sort of an off again, on again, like you were saying, depends on Paul's mood and what everyone else mm. is doing. And if you're busy, how do you start Filling your time. I mean, you're not in a band that's on a contract that needs to put out a new album every couple of years. For the last 30 years, I think you've been sort of calling your own shots. How do you fill that time? Well, the, the, the Robert Hart, and I'm glad you mentioned Robert, because Robert was a very, very good singer. He was. I'm glad he came on the road with this, and he kind of he restated the soul of the band he was a yes. more soul singer and he was um, he has more he's yeah, more in, he, uh, similar to paul than brian yeah he was a great he was a good guy i like him very, very much
So what it, when that broke up, I was really at my rock bottom when it turned in terms of drinking drugs. Mm -hmm. So in 97, I checked myself in and um, I guess I spent the next two years just getting better. Yeah. But then along came Ringo Starr. And God bless okay, him. Okay, yes. I wanted to ask you about that. Scruff of the neck. Mm -hmm. And I just forgot about rehab. And uh, he pulled me out of the blue and said, you know, because he's been in recovery for a long, long time. And he said, look, how do you feel about joining the All-Stars? I said, I'd fucking love to. Mm -hmm. But can you play sober? <laughs> <laughs> Only Ringo could say that to me. I said, well, yeah, Richard, I will try. That's I right. would try. And then uh -huh. the first, and it was a wonderful band, John. It was Pete Frampton, Gary Brooker, Jack Bruce, Ooh. Mark Rivera, me and Ringo. It was a uh -huh. beautiful band. And we played our first show in Seattle. And uh, I played Stockholm Silver. Wonderful. And um, so I did four tours with That's Ringo great. over the next six, I think, five or six years. Um, and I did sessions. I kept busy, but I kept sober busy. Yeah. That was the main thing. And um, I can't remember the timeline right now when, when Paul came back in the fold. We, we put together an album, uh, uh, kind of a best of, to celebrate mm -hmm. 25 years mm -hmm. of Bad Company. I think we were formed in 74, so 25 would be 1999. And that's when right. we came in and we did a... Said and Unsaid, is that what that... Um, what's it called? Say again? The name of Stories Told and Untold, right? Oh, no, that was the last album with, oh, um, okay. with Rob Hunt. Yes. Yeah, it was a com compilation, a double CD, and I believe, I'm not quite sure when it came out, I can't okay. even remember the name of it, but Paul came back in, and it was good to see him again, it, it mm -hmm. like slipped into a pair of old shoes, it just, it felt good, mm -hmm. and then, you know, we did what Bad Company did, we did, we did one tour, and then did another four years later, and then, <laughs> you know, it's like Charlie said about working with the Stone. Five years work and 35 years hanging around. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad company. That's true. But only the biggest of the big, only the real successful yeah. iconic rock bands can even have that kind of a career. You know what I mean? True. And you yeah, guys did it. You guys did it. Um, yeah. I don't know if everyone knows that Jemima is your daughter. And uh, yeah. I, I was, I've seen every episode of Girls. I love that yeah. show. What's she yeah. up to? In fact, it seems like all four of those girls, you don't hear much from them as much anymore. I think no, Lena probably uh, has some they, health problems. But what's Jemima up to? Well, the, the big star of them now, of course, is Adam Driver. That's true. He's, he's uh, like Oscar. Yeah, now. He's a big he's, deal. He's, so Jemima is making movies. I mean, she's, uh, she's a mother, and she has two kids now, and she's um, she just finished a movie. She did a series called Sex Education, a film in Wales. Wonderful. I've started that show but not finished it. I've only watched the first oh, two episodes. Great. Okay, yeah. now I know. Okay, she plays the headmistress of a, the school, and then she she did this. Uh, she did a series on Hulu. She's doing a, a series now, I believe, on uh, for Amazon Prime. So she's a busy actress. Yeah, yeah. And Lola is my middle, my youngest child. She's in some Jungle. She played Hayley Rutledge. She did three seasons of Mozart. 
And oh, now way. she's a singer, songwriter living in Nashville. And my eldest daughter is a doula. Uh, you know, a jeweler, um, really? A doula. Oh, doula. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. She delivers babies. Yep. And she's married to Penn Badgley. So uh, really, you know, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're all they're all well, and they're all thriving. Thank goodness. You guys are fully Hollywood, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're as much, yeah. you know, almost as much a Hollywood family as you are a rock and roll family. <laughs> I guess That's so. wild. Um, okay. I'm curious. Those days in the 70s, I mean, that is peak rock star era. What was mm. your favorite thing about being a rock star in the 70s at, that you miss most today? I'll give you an example. I had Ian Anderson on here years ago i've had him on here a few times and i asked him this question if it all went away what would you miss the most i love telling this story he said at the end of every show when i go back to my hotel room i take all my clothes off and i lay on my bed and watch the news and drink a beer and that's his post-show ritual mm. i have no idea if he still does that but that's what he said and i always think what are other people's What's the thing? Like when I'm on the road, my favorite barbecue spot, I know we're going to pass through or whatever. My favorite pot dealer, whatever it might be. What's the thing? <laughs> wow. I guess, you know, back in the days before I was married, uh -huh. the girls. Of course. I have to be honest. You were a good looking guy, Simon. You still oh, are. But I mean, those I early 70s, Simon, oh my gosh. In my early 20s before I had a, a wife or a girlfriend, yeah, I, I had a lot of clothes, I have to say. But the other thing, you know, to be bathed in that applause, yeah. and, you know, I'm a Leo, we love the spotlight, we love uh -huh. all that, oh, yeah. Uh, to stand on stage having done a good gig, yeah. knowing that you've done a good gig with three of your best mates around you, and you take that bow, and then you come back for the encore, and the place goes, wow. Yep. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's what I, I that's miss. It. I do miss. And that's I miss it. the travel. I miss going to different places and seeing the look on people's faces. Are oh, they arrived? And you play a song and they start singing it along with you. It's, yeah. you know, I guess it's ego stroking. Of course. But yeah, that's what I miss. I, I believe it. You, uh, yeah. My dad was a Leo. In fact, your birthday is oh. July 28th, I think, right? Mine is 28, yeah. Yeah, his is the third, was the 31st. And uh -huh. he, it's so interesting you talking about enjoying, I mean, we all feel that way for sure. But my dad was a conductor of symphonies. And uh -huh. uh, it was, it's very apparent in his personality and everything that he got off on the same thing. You know, <laughs> I, he had those same Leo tendencies. I'm not surprised. Um, okay. <laughs> is there a deep track when you think back on your career and all the songs you played on, whatever they might be, give us a song where you, I mean, either, I know you wrote some songs, there weren't uh, all of them, but is there a moment in a song that you're particularly proud of where it's like, you know, this song was one thing. And then I thought of this other thing and that made mm -hmm. it special. And I've always liked this thing that I did. Ooh. Well, I know it's funny. I was listening to the first album. Uh, I had occasion to listen to it. And so there are two things. My drumming on Ready for Love. Yes. Uh, oh. I was particularly, particularly proud of that. Walking down this rocky road, wondering where 
it was just something. It was number one. It's one of the best songs ever written. Uh-huh. And Mick Ralph wrote it. And every time I do it on stage, it just brings a tear to my eye. Yeah. But Ready for Love, the drumming on that. And then I'd have to say uh, Weep No More, which was on Straight Shooter. And it was Ooh. a song that I love. Yeah. I pleaded with the band to put an orchestra on it. And the same guy who actually put uh-huh. strings on Rummy the Pack. And for the first time I heard this uh, orchestra playing on my song, Weep No More, it was Ooh. just, oh. That, to me, was the highlight of my, not my drumming, but my musical sure. aspirations. Yes. Drumming was the drumming on Ready for Love. And, and Can't Get Enough, that was a pretty yes. good one too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But those are my two highlights. Do you remember anything about co-writing uh, this bad company, the song? Oh yeah. What 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 was the what was the dynamic of you and Paul? It was almost very funny. Well, I was visiting Paul. Uh, I just got back from Brazil, 
and he was I know he was putting this together with me. And I went down to this little uh it's quite a small cottage that he has in uh uh just outside London. And he had this huge uh, grand piano dessert. In fact, it took up most of the lounge and I think a little bit of the kitchen. It was that big. And he's playing this um He's just noodling around. And the great thing about Paul is he's a trained pianist. He's not a great pianist, but he's doing it. Yes. Oh. Just, wow, just those man. notes say it all, yeah. right? You can said, see the scene in your head just from those couple of notes. And he said, well, I've, you know, I was thinking of those those uh, Clint Eastwood movies, The Fistful of Dollars. Yes. Tumbleweed going across the plain and and, yeah. and long, uh, riders, you know, who, yeah. who chase convicts down and uh, and you know this and it's a E flat minor, which is all the black keys on the. So at the end of the end of the concert, we're going <laughs> wherever you go on the scale of E flat minor, you hit a good note. Anyway. And he said, well, I've got Destiny uh, Company. Oh, Destiny. And I said, it's the rising science. Oh, that's good. So we, we sort of traded those lines. I think the whole thing took about 15 minutes to write. Um, and and that, that we had after some. You were, oh. yeah. Well, Simon, you're one of the best there's ever been. And you've put out some of the greatest rock music that's ever been created by anyone ever. Thank you for all your contributions to this world. Oh, thank you, my friend. And anything uh, later down the line, just give me a holler and do it again. I appreciate that. All right, there you have it. Simon Kirk. Pretty great, right? Pretty great. And I know, let me just say this right now. I know a lot of you are thinking, John, you should use him to get to G.E. Smith because I get a ton of, of uh, requests for G.E. Smith. I agree with you. I will try that maybe when it feels appropriate. I don't want to try it just yet, but I might. And Billy Squire. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I've been trying to get Billy. A lot of us have for years. He isn't doing podcasts. He's been very straightforward about that. But anyway, there was a lot of ground to cover on here, and I loved every second of it, and I hope you did too. We're glad to have Yan the man back. Yan is back. And uh, he produced this episode. Thank you, buddy. It doesn't feel the same without you. But another big thanks to everybody who stepped up while he was out. Ryan, Rob, James, Ken, we love you all, and we may use you again. In fact, you can probably count on it when the time is right, okay? Next week, I believe we're kicking off a cup, well, at least the next two weeks, but probably more, maybe not in a row, but there's going to be a lot of 90s bands coming up in the next two weeks. And, uh, or the next few weeks, I should say. And next week's guest is a key member of one of the key 90s rock bands. And um, that's who that's who we're going to talk to next week. And it was fun. It was a great conversation. You guys know you can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. All right? Thanks, everybody. We love you. 